Welcome to our post-Laver Cup edition of No Challenges Remaining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined today by Reem Abuleil, who is our NCR Middle East correspondent, familiar to you all, hopefully. And this week, she is our special Laver Cup correspondent as well, because she was there at the inaugural Laver Cup, whatever Laver Cup was, and we'll get into that. Uh, Reem, thank you for joining us, by the way. I know you just got off a plane. Actually, I decided to go last minute. I didn't know what to expect at all. I booked a flight like two days earlier. And I figured why not just go check it out myself because I felt like there was so much skepticism around the whole thing and everyone on Twitter was going way overboard with like hating the event before it even started. It's like, why? well, it's a long weekend in Dubai. I'll just add a couple of days off and I'll go and check out what's going on. And actually, because I went with like no expectations whatsoever, I personally had such a blast in so many different ways, just from being able to sit in the stands and watch all the matches and and. I was shocked, Ben, by the attendance. I mean, we've been to so many events, and especially with the new ones, you never expect the attendance to be like this. So from the very first session on the Fridays, it was packed. And by packed, I literally mean packed. When you find that the corporate seats are full, you know that this is a really a sold-out event. Uh, so I think that was the first thing, like as soon as I walked into the arena and I saw so many people, actually from the airport, like when I was going through passport control, uh, I had my Wimbledon laptop bag on me. So a few people spotted me and were like, oh, you're here for the Labor Cup. So are we. And each one of them had flown in from one was one flew in from South Africa, one flew in from Melbourne just for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. They really marketed this thing really well. So that was like just the initial impression. Yeah, and I think that marketing, just to get to sort of what you were saying before with the skepticism, I think the marketing was intense and also I think sort of overboard to the point where it probably got some pushback. I remember there were like some quotes from Federer saying that like, you know, I've won Grand Slams so playing on Labor Cup will be the most special moment of my career or something like that. And it's like, okay, <laughs> Roger, <laughs> calm down. Like yeah. it, it's a it's a it's a new event and it doesn't at this point, and we'll get to the whole idea of meaning or exhibition or whatever in a bit. But um, mm-hmm. just I think they were they pushed so hard. They came out with this trophy at some point that was so enormous looking. I think someone joked that it looked like Rod Laver could live in that trophy if he wanted to. <laughs> and and all of it just seemed like a little bit over the top in how they were aiming and positioning themselves. Um, and so I totally understood that. And I probably did sort of probably, I don't know if I paid too much attention to Labor Cup, but I probably did engage in some of the sort of eye rolling at it as well. Um, and mm. then and then it started and or then and then there was a build up to it. And once they were on site, it really did sort of feel they did a really good job building it up with all the practice coverage and everything to make it feel like, um, I guess, like a Davis Cup final. It's the only good analogy I can have, whereas, you know, the teams are both there assembling and they have their pre events and things like that. But it was obviously so much more star power than any Davis Cup final of certainly my tennis lifetime. And it just sort of, and then once they got on court, I think that the matches wound up being really good. And it just kind of went from there. I think my biggest surprise from the beginning was how all the players bought into it. So, I mean, I've seen IPTN and all these things, and you can almost tell when it's like a forced kind of thing. They're forcing it. They're forcing to pretend that they're teammates. They're... There was, 
I was expecting that, you know, and then when I went there and I just saw how laser focused they all are and how intense it all is and how really into it. And, and I think because of the star power, like, like you just said is there and you, you have Borg on one bench and McEnroe on the other. And then you've got, I mean, Rafa and Roger and these people as teammates who wants to let these people down. You know what I mean? It, the, the, I started to understand it because everyone was so nervous. Like, the team, even team was saying that like before the match, he's like, yeah, I'm nervous because who wants to lose a match when these are your teammates and this is your captain. And, and somehow I didn't expect them to be really into it from the start, but everything was done in such an immaculate way. I mean, I was with the Rafa Plaza and Antonio Arenas and, and they're used to being on, on the other side of like organizing events and stuff. And those guys work for, just to say they work for Madrid open, for example. Yeah. 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 And Mallorca open as well. So they, the first things they were noticing were just the little things in that, like, Oh, look at the media setup. Look at the media room. Look how fast the internet is. Look at how quickly we're getting the information. Look at just these small things. And every single detail was done in such a, I don't know. I, I felt really comfortable, especially when you go to a new event and you don't really you know. I had never been to the O2 arena because I never covered the Davis Cup finals mm-hmm. or anything there. So I honestly just got there and everything was smooth, um, which was also because they had the Tennis Australia right. team uh, who handled the the press for, t- for the Australian Open. They were the ones handling the press for Labor Cup. So even just from, from our end as journalists, Things were kind of smooth, I have to say. Especially considering I decided to go two days earlier. Right. Like I didn't even pre-plan. Right. Um, but in terms of, yeah, I maybe I wasn't really paying much attention to the uh, to all the promo stuff they did before it. Like, I would get the emails and stuff from teammates, but I never really looked much into it. I certainly ignored dozens of Labor Cup emails in my day, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they because they sent a lot. I mean, this has been going on since January 2016. So I honestly have not paid attention to every single one. Uh, however, just like that, when I was like, okay, it's happening, I'm gonna go. And then I didn't attend the um, the pres- the team presentation in the old town uh, in the old town square. And apparently that was amazing. I mean, the pictures alone look amazing, but I know a few people who were there, and they're saying that w- the attendance was great and just the whole. F- thing was so special and I was like hmm okay so they're doing something right you know uh and then yeah just kept picking up from there and I think that you felt it throughout the weekend because the matches got more important because of the format where the first day you get one point second the second day the win is for two points and the third day it's triple honestly you kept you that created some sort of like a momentum it's like just kept building up and up uh and in the end I mean, the crowd was insane. <laughs> it was insane. I couldn't believe it. So there's a lot of things to talk about, obviously. I think yeah. they picked a really smart first location for it, which is in Europe, in Central Europe, very accessible. And also in the Czech Republic, where there's a good base of tennis already. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. to, I went to uh, the last sort of cup event I went to was the 2014 Fed Cup final, which is at the OT Arena in Prague. Mm-hmm. And it was Germany versus the Czechs. And it was, I think, sold out. Or if, if not sold out, then very close to sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great to see for a Fed Cup final. And those, at that point, I believe the Czechs had no WTA tournament. They didn't have Prague. And they had mm-hmm. no ATP tournament for a long time. So they're this market that has, you know, a decent amount of money still. But just no no access to top tennis. And 
putting it there and bringing Federer and Nadal and these those guys who've never played in the Czech Republic and Prague is a central enough you know place that it also covers you know Austria and you know southern Germany and Poland whatever else northern Italy it's all very easily short trips for all these other underserved places in tennis mm-hmm. um, that it that I think it worked out really well just from that and like you said they did an incredible job marketing it and they did a job marketing it with the stars I mean like Federer was you know half because of his teammate involvement they feel like sort of half owner of it of the event and so he you know took on a lot of responsibility which is you can't you can't you can pay for that kind of promotion but it's better to get it for free <laughs> for Federer <laughs> and um and and he really embraced it and he got those guys on board and I, but I, I'm curious how you think this is sort of what everyone sort of remarked on right away is if you have any sense of how Labor Cup, like, I know you talk about the pressure of playing for Captain Borg or whatever, but how they got the players to care. Because players will go, like, you've been to IPTL. I've been mm-hmm. to, you know, other tournaments. I've been to Hopman Cup, for example. And there, Hopman Cup is interesting because it always struck me that the women care and the men don't at Hopman Cup. <laughs> For the most part, and the women, all, women generally always care. They hate losing way more. Just more on that. Just how, how did you do? You have any sense of why exactly these guys bought in, or is it just they had no reason not to? I think for a few, I'll t- I'll, I'll tell you in general because I've spoke to all, I've spoken to all of them, and obviously they're gonna give me whatever answer they want to give me, and I'm not sure how much we can read into it. But first of all, I think the fact that Roger Federer is the face of this whole thing and is behind it. I think that automatically people were taking it seriously. Uh, and then when, when he, the way he, the whole narrative was, we want to honor the legacy of Rod Laver. And then you have Rod Laver there the entire three days. That in itself is something. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing, you know, to set up to, to, to get, first of all, to, to have Roger and Rod Laver involved. I think people took it seriously immediately. Uh, and I also think that these guys, uh, yes, they keep ditching Davis Cup, but somehow they also crave team competition. They really yeah. do. I mean, there, I, fe- I, fe- I felt that they were, they were like, yay, we're finally, I don't know, they were so relieved in a way. I don't know, when at the end of the, um, the very last press conference with the Team World, they were all looked at each other and like, oh, the tour is going to start again. They just want to hang out together. You know, it was something different for them. And I think that that's something else. So it's a bunch of it's a it's a bunch of different things, I think, because also they said it's it's kind of like uh, based on the Ryder Cup. And the Ryder Cup is something that actually exists and is successful and has a lot of yeah. history. So in their minds, they're thinking this can actually be that. Why can't it be that? So I don't know, it's just a bunch of things, but still, I wouldn't have imagined, and even Roger said that, he was worried about how the teams would get along, and that's one thing he said in the last press conference, because I was like, what were the kind of things that you didn't expect, or or to keep her surprise, or you were worried about, and he was like, I wasn't sure how quickly everyone would get along. Yeah. He's like, but because we were staying in the same hotel, they had the teams in separate hotels, uh, most of them didn't have their coaches there. Uh, Roger insisted, he was like, yeah, I don't want to have any coaches here. I don't want to be any sort of individualism to it, you know? Uh, yeah. And they had all three meals together, practicing together. And in the beginning, he was like, we didn't actually have a rule where you had to be sitting there on that bench the whole day watching the matches. We said, if you want to leave, leave. If you want to stay in the hotel and come later, come. And everyone was like, no, we want to support each other. We're going to be there. And then they ended up 
all day long sitting on those couches, which I thought must have maybe been painful to some of their joints or something. I don't know. That's not because the whole time I'm looking, I was like, oh, my God, they've been there for hours. <laughs> that's that, yeah. No, that's that's what I think, like, really. And the first thing I noticed on day one that really stuck out was not so much the play because it wasn't any of the big players playing. It was close matches. Yeah. But was the the re- the benches and the, mm. the gifts basically that came out of these benches. And obviously, Team World borrowed a lot from, I have no idea if you know, Monmouth Basketball is yeah, like yeah. this college basketball team in the U.S. that did all these, does all these crazy celebrations. So they just like copied a lot of their stuff, but had like fun with it and just did a lot of stuff to stay entertained. And it just, I don't think, it, it all seemed organic, I guess, or it just seemed, and it just seemed different to have this sort of combination of relaxation and enthusiasm. Davis Cup, I feel like, and we'll get, we'll get a lot into the comparisons of Davis Cup in a second, but Davis Cup always just seems first and foremost stressful. And True. even if Labor Cup did have some importance on it, at least the guys who weren't playing didn't seem to feel like, oh my God, there's the weight of the world or the weight of yeah. Europe on us. <laughs> I mean, it didn't yeah, yeah, exactly. kick back and having having fun with it. So um, it was still, I'm just still, I'm just mostly, I said most of the, especially by the end, being just surprised at how much I was impressed by it. Because I was, I was very ready, as usual with myself, to be like a cynical hater about <laughs> it. And to be like, oh, this, you know, Rafa Roger doubles thing. It's just a, that's the whole point of it was just to do the next set with that, and of course they'll do it when you know they had plenty of opportunities earlier in their career to play doubles if they'd actually really wanted to make it a priority. Mm. I mean, Indian Wells every year, Toronto every year. There's always big, and even Miami, there's big star opportunities for stars to play doubles. And if they'd really wanted to do this, they could have done it earlier. Um, but that they did it here was a nice sort of little hook for the event, I guess. And and yeah, and and like you said with Davis Cup. I think, and people are talking about this, it's apples and oranges, but I don't know. I think it's two relatively similar fruits, at least an idea. And I think that Labor Cup did a shockingly good job of sort of looking at all the criticisms of Davis Cup and managing to have like all of its strengths line up with all of Davis Cup's weaknesses. It, even uh, just like basic schedule, it found a, one great spot in the schedule one time in the year, and that was nowhere near any big tournaments, really, a couple weeks after the U.S. Open and a couple weeks before the next Masters event in Shanghai, and it got there. And, and it had, you know, a format that didn't have any dead rubbers and, you know, accelerating things. I don't know, all of it. And, and I'm curious, you've been to, I imagine, I think you've been to Davis Cup ties, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been. As, how, how would you compare just those two? Let's start with that side of I'll it. I'll tell you what, first of all, the the match tiebreak. I mean, the match tiebreak means the matches aren't going on forever. So even though you know that there's a day, the day has four matches, you, you don't really feel that it's four matches just because mm. you know if it's... A, and I understand that the match tiebreak is not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. But now, how was be, that? How was that? I've never I've never seen a singles match with a match tiebreak. Exactly. How, was, how did it work? That's act- I think it's actually the first time ever that has been implemented. So... It was, it's great, I have to say. I mean, I thought it... Somehow when you see it in doubles, you feel that uh, it makes the match a toss-up in a way, and I don't know why I never really liked it. When then, with singles, it's it's great. It's like just a long tie-break, and it's hmm. fine. And and, you, and we've seen it multiple times over the weekend, and I, I thought it was great, to be honest. Uh, so that was... I think that was key to make sure that matches are not going on and on forever and they and I because I interviewed Tony Gotsik as well who's 
obviously Roger's agent and manager, and he's the guy behind this as well. So he uh, he said that one of the key things they wanted to make sure is that the matches are not too long, so they had the match tiebreak. There's also, like you said, I think that the fun part of it, uh, this was actually like a debate I was having with the... Um, with one of the journalists, where they were like, no, it's not really a good look to have Team World, uh, the bench, do all these uh, March Madness celebrations and stuff like that. And I th- it didn't really bother me, because I like that there was a contrast between both teams. I like that there was one team that was mostly young people, barring yeah. Isner and Query, but the rest are very young. And and I like that they were different. I, it's also a culture thing, you know? Most of yeah. Most of the people on the team are Americans, and this is how... This is the kind of celebrations that they've seen and competitions there. So I like that. Some people thought it was like making it seem like they're not taking it seriously. But I Especially have to Especially when they were you, getting killed or in, over in the overall score and doing the celebrations at the same time, maybe. I do, I do get that. But at the same time, I was talking to Nick about it, Nick Curious. And Nick was like, it's actually making me relax. Like when I'm on the court and I see them doing that, it helps me relax because otherwise I would be actually really stressed because I want to win this for the team. And Nick actually cried in the end, literally cried after he lost yeah. to Roger in the end, which is something, again, I did not expect. And he was like, I was just super emotional because I really wanted to win it for the team. And I was like, how did this happen so quickly? I do not understand. But it's kind of awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it, they did go overboard a lot. Don't forget, like, one of them is Tanasi Kokonakis, who didn't have to play the whole weekend. He was there as an yeah. alternate. So he's literally there just cheering them on. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov is, what, 18 years old. He's so mm-hmm. young. Francis is 19. So these these are kids, and they're all of a sudden in this team environment, and they've got Roger and Rafa on the other side, and I think they just got carried away. And it didn't bother me that much, to be honest. And I also must say that when, because the, the matches got more and more important over the weekend, you could see that they got a bit more serious uh, on day three. Like on day three, yeah. they were like, they were kind of nervous, you know? Yeah. But but for me the highlight obviously was the bench. I mean watching Rafa be a cheerleader like that. Rafa was I've never seen him so stressed in my life. Like, <laughs> honestly, I do not <laughs> I don't know what was going on there. And there was a lot of stuff that you guys couldn't see on TV, but like every single point he's looking to the crowd and just like raising his arms and asking them to get up and cheer and stuff. Uh and that was like every single point. So uh, yeah, I mean, the bench stuff was great, and the coaching as well. When you find all of a sudden Roger coaching's Zverev, I mean, that's just gold. Yeah, yeah that the, cool. hearing clips of him giving Roger coaching somebody that was audible, that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, and also, and like, like, and like even... Rafa and Roger talking to each other, too, I think. Like, that's... Yeah. That's just nuts. I mean, even so I... when Roger, I think at some point... Uh, yeah, I think when he was losing to Nick in the beginning... Uh, no, it wasn't... No, no, when Rafa that, was... you're right. No, no, when Rafa was losing to Isner, Marin Cilic came to him, actually, and started telling him stuff about Isner's serve, uh, which I thought also was cool, because I'm thinking probably Rafa's not listening. I don't know. (laughs) But Cilic has a good record against Isner, so so yeah, so it makes sense that he would feel like he had advice to share. And he needed help. So yeah. he was, yeah, he was not doing well. So yeah. uh, I, that was cool. I think, like you said, I've, I've, I've seen you tweet about, about that over the weekend and just the fact that, yeah, because the stars are there, people are paying attention. And yeah. the format means that the top, the top guys, I mean, I think the way, is, uh, the way it is is that four, the top four ranked qualify automatically and there's two captain's picks. And then obviously players are, can skip it and say, I don't want to. Yeah. But, uh, 
but I think that after this first year, people are gonna want to go. Yeah, I know. There was a John Isner put out a tweet last night or some point yesterday and said, um, you know, you know, what, what, curious what you guys thought of watching Labor Cup. I thought it was effing awesome or something like that. And like the first person or the person he was, the first response I saw was from Diego Schwartzman Mm. being like, oh my God, that was amazing. I loved it. (laughs) And he was like, and basically, and then, you know, Isner responded like, uh, you see you in Chicago next year, amigo, or something like that. And so players, and I think Mladenovic had positive things to say about it on Twitter too. Other players were watching. And I think definitely it was a, a very good model, um, for it. And I think, and I think you mentioned the stars players and I think that's absolutely right. And it goes to my biggest complaint about Davis cup is that for me in the last 10 years, Davis cup just has not almost ever, certainly never consistently been, uh, what I, what in hockey, at least we kind of guess in tennis, you can use the phrase too, what they call a best on best competition. Mm. Where, like, you know reliably that each country is going to have its best players playing yeah. consistently. And it, it, it just struck me, especially this year, when it struck me a lot of times, but when, like, for example, this year, when Isner would have been there at the um, USA hosted Switzerland in the mm. first round of Davis Cup World Group this year in Alabama or something, I want to say. And um, the US sent its best team of, you know, Isner sock whoever and switzerland sent not federer or Vavrinka. Yeah, and they were both healthy and theoretically available they both just made semis of australia and it was the week after so it's tough but they could have come and they instead they sent henry loxinen and i don't know Bossel or cutinelli i'm not even i can't even remember who showed up for switzerland and it just makes the tie completely pointless like huh. right away if you're like what is the meaning to use this big what does it mean phrase what is the meaning when Switzerland isn't really representing Switzerland? And I'll say, and we just we haven't done a show on NCR since the Davis Cup semis happened. But for me, and you know, all credit and respect to them, but for me, what does it say about Davis Cup when Belgium makes the final two out of three years? Belgium is just not one of the best men's tennis countries on any level. And they haven't gotten there by beating top players at all. I don't know that I don't know they face a single top ten player in their entire to come in their entire both trips to the final yeah i listen i agree and i think that the first thing that pops through my mind after this past weekend is that really davis cup needs to be once a year like maybe even not every year but i would want it to be the, the idea of having it in one week or something like that or is two much weeks better even, yeah yeah like it's much weeks, yeah. much much better because honestly it's just so scattered and random and getting everyone available for all these ties is is not feasible at all. And another thing is, a lot of people are always saying, no, the, the partisan crowd is great and the atmosphere is great with Davis Cup and everything. But I'll tell you the difference if you want to... I, I still think it, Labor Cup is different than Davis Cup. shouldn't really compare a lot. But I'm thinking with Davis Cup, the, the countries, the people who are really, really invested in it are mainly the, the people who are from those countries who are playing, okay? Yeah. Whereas with something like Labor Cup, literally everyone can be hooked and be invested in it. You know what I mean? Everyone's watching it. Everyone's into it. And and, and everyone is theoretically Europe or world. Exactly. Honestly, because we were, yeah, we were joking in that. They were telling me what, because at some point I was like cheering on Nick or something. Just like, I wanted to be, compa- I wanted honestly a deciding doubles in the end. That's what yeah. I wanted. So I was like, I, I can't, and Nick was playing great in the beginning. And I kind of wanted Nick to beat Roger so he can see deciding doubles. Uh, 
And then they were like, why are you cheering on Nick? And I was like, well, technically I'm from Africa, so I'm Team World. <laughs> Which sounded funny. Yeah. But yeah, I am from Africa. But, um, but the thing is, one of the things Roger said that, because we asked him, like, what would you want to be better in the next one? And he's like, the one, th- he's like, it's still too soon for me to really have all the facts in front of me and reflect on everything. But he's like, one thing I would like more in that the the team that has the home court advantage, it's really an advantage. I would want the crowd to really be supporting Europe, and I would want the crowd to really be supporting the rest of yeah. the world when they're not here. And because obviously, it was I think pretty, it was it was fairly, yeah, you know, level most <laughs> of the time. Yeah, because the, um, I found out from Gotsik that sixty percent of the tickets were bought by credit cards from outside the Czech Republic, and forty percent were from the hmm. Czech Republic, which is actually uh, impressive, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to have 60% of your tickets from people flying over for that so that makes sense and actually yeah where, wherever you're I was sitting in the stands I can there's a lot of Americans around cheering and at the same time there's a lot of Europeans and obviously Federer is kind of the like a universal flag or something oh, like yeah. everybody yeah. loves it so but I think also that can be in a way solved by um, like they do it in football which is soccer uh, in that they put the home fans in one section and uh, away fans in another section you know yeah. like if you divide but at the same right but at the same time I mean, you, you still have federer people rooting for federer from both sides true, no matter what true. Who true. i mean uh, they yeah they were all because for, i think that for some because because i didn't understand why burdich was in all these matches he really shouldn't have been playing so obviously because it's his home country so i i have a feeling that maybe they wanted him to play every session because he really shouldn't have played that second doubles i mean after we saw that first doubles with rafa he should not have played again ever yeah. doubles ever that was so bad so <laughs> <laughs> so so they're like yeah but he's like popular here and i'm like i bet you half of these checks like roger more than thomas no disrespect to thomas but really yeah. like so um so yeah i mean it's all i don't think that roger's dream of having like a crazy partisan crowd cheering for team world uh, i don't know in australia it's not i don't know i think i think i think i think it i think it could happen um, Maybe over after it, so many years. After after time, right? People, because I think it's the yeah. first time you're just picking teams. You know, you're the red team, you're the blue team, and it seems a little bit arbitrary. But over time, because certainly, because certainly, Ryder Cup does get very popular. It is. Rounds. It gets very very um, rowdy. I know, but yeah. I think that. You need years and years. And I think that maybe if one team goes on a streak and just like, let's say Europe win the next five years, then maybe people will be like, oh, no, we want team more. You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah. there needs to be and some if, sort and of And when narrative. Federer and Nadal are gone, if, if you go to a situation where, you know, it's like a Davis Cup tie where it's your home country versus a country with players you don't care about, you know, then yeah. you're going to be more all in for your home country. And maybe that'll happen eventually post Federer and Nadal. Um, and so that, that comes, there's a lot of just a lot of questions it raises. So let's finish, just finish up with it in terms of things Davis Cup can learn from it, possibly. And I, I don't think it has to copy it, but I think there's just a lot of things that they did that were just really smart ideas. Um, the I think the way the team benches were sort of set up and the sort of, you know, they had their own sort of little playpen area they were in and they yeah. come down to the court, whatever. I think that was just a really good, you know, architecture of that. I really mm-hmm. liked the, um, the way that um, points got more valuable or matches got more valuable mm-hmm. over the over the weekend. And that's something Davis Cup could do immediately. Just yes, have, because dead have, rubbers have, are terrible. Terrible. Right. Dead rubbers are terrible. And also you're selling tickets for Sunday, not knowing if there will be any ma- relevant matches on Sunday. It could be three sure. nothing and people are still buying tickets. So what I would do there's two ways to do it, which I think are both fine. Either 
make it one point, and even just keeping it in the you know two singles, one doubles, two singles format, have one point on Friday, and then either you do one point for doubles on Saturday, and then two points for each of the single, singles on Sunday, which also mm-hmm. just makes logical sense that one versus one and two versus two would be more valuable than two versus one. That just adds up to me. Or have mm-hmm. it be one, one for the singles on Friday, two for the doubles on Saturday, and three for the the singles mm-hmm. on Sunday, and both of those guarantee you're gonna have at least one live rubber on the Sunday, and that's definitely. Huge. I think that's that would be a good idea. And I saw, I think Simon Camber said, but maybe the people playing on the Friday would feel less important. I think it was Simon who said that. I'm not sure. Eh, who cares? <laughs> but yeah, I don't think that matters at all because I think sorry, at sorry. the end of the no. But honestly, I don't think that yeah. matters because. Um, even on even with with last weekend, it makes sense that the younger ones would start, you know, and then it would build up, and that's how they were planning it anyway. I mean, when they were in, because obviously this is new, when they're looking at the rules and trying to figure it out, it was quite cool that they, I don't know if you guys know, but the first day the lineups were both blind, so basically each team created their own line, like. Hmm. Borg chose who will play on Friday, and Macarno chose who will play on Friday, but they didn't know. Each coach didn't know who's playing, who's gonna field who. But then the second day, the uh, team Europe uh, had the advantage of uh, finding out who world will, will choose, and then they were answering to that. And then they yeah. swapped, they flipped that on the third day, uh, which I thought was cool. Worked, I know that's yeah. not Davis it, Cup. Uh, no, but it, but I think it, but I think it also worked pretty well. I've I've always thought there'd be it'd be really cool. And okay, the one of the sort of fails I will say for Labor Cup is the terrible acting in those videos at the table. So I'm like, yeah, that play two. <laughs> those were completely and just the rationales they came up for coming up with why they thought what their fake reasons for why who should play who were just kind of embarrassing. But it was still like fine. Like if for it, me, the it, funny it, part not, was Rafa. Rafa clearly likes the deuce side. And somehow got bullied into choosing playing that. <laughs> that for me is is what my takeaway from that entire thing. Yeah. No, I mean, were, imagine were... imagine Rafa being bullied like that doesn't even make any sense. But that's, t- uh, that's tough to yeah. do. But no, but I but I've always liked the idea of having a tournament exhibition tournament. Make hell, make it a real. T- and we'll get into the phrase exhibition. It's one other mm. thing I have to get to. But um, having a tournament where in any sport. Where um, it would even I've even thought it would work for like NBA or NHL playoffs something like this, where the top seed is there and it's like have like sort of schoolyard style and be like have like you know fifth let's say sixteen player tournament to keep it a little bit cleaner, and say okay which of these fifteen people do you want to play in the first round? And you get to like call somebody out and pick them and be like I want to play you because either I'm like five and zero against you or you beat me last time and I want revenge or I just think you're terrible and I can beat you, uh, whatever it is. But I think it just it's a great way of sort of stoking up you know fires and so that's a another cool thing that I think. I uh, thought that was really cool. Yeah. I thought it was very cool that ever, for each night because Macarena was trying to explain it to us and he was like. We said we didn't care, and then all of a sudden, when we realized, oh shit, they're they're the ones who are going to to respond to us now. I don't know. They they didn't think it was important in the beginning, and then they realized it actually makes a difference. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Because I mean, like for like the way they matched up against, like they picked. They didn't say this in the video. They were being not very honest in the video, but they picked Nadal, who's like undefeated, against, who's never had any trouble against Sock to play Sock. Like of course mm. they would. They play. They picked uh, Federer to play Query. Who's never had any problems against Query, whereas Nadal has mm. lost to Query. You know, a bunch of guys have lost to Query this year on their team. 
Um, and so they just they did it strategically. They weren't. I don't think they're being reliable narrators about why. And they probably didn't want to just say like Rafa, you're sick. But I think that was, I think actually the third day it was the opposite. I think yeah. that Team World were the ones who were who had the the, the other sides line up first. Right. I was anyway. talking. I was talking about day two. I was talking about day two. Ah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it is the 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 videos were terrible. But at the same time, I also think that having that kind of uh, behind the scenes access has to start becoming a thing, yeah. because. Think about it. The young, uh, every, you know, all the younger generation, they love this stuff. They're going to put it in two seconds and they're going to make GIFs or GIFs or whatever you call it in two seconds and put it online and it, all this stuff is going viral. There and that a, matters. There was that a matters. GIF that was circulating about about team like kicking around a ball while Zverev mm. was at the buffet. And people were mm. like, haha, Zverev's at the buffet. I was like, I don't know why this is remarkably remarkable. Like, but yes, people he, care. he's skinny, but he still eats. Um, but yes, I mean... And the but, other yeah. one with like Zverev shirtless with the towel and just on the bike war- cooling down like that. That's normal. That's a normal scene that everybody yeah. went gaga over. And uh, <laughs> the one that my favorite was team eating <laughs> on the bench. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one was good. But at the end of the day, there's so many people who honestly would not be watching tennis this week at all. At that's all. That's what I can say. And they were watching because this stuff was circulating. So even if they didn't know what Labor Cup was, by the second day they knew because they're seeing all these things and they're like, oh my God, is Roger going to play with Rafa? What's going on? How are all these people in one team? What is happening? Because this stuff was going viral. And I'm telling you, I have friends who do not know what tennis is, or they do, but they're not into it, who were texting me and telling me, hey, are you watching Rafa and Roger play doubles together? And I was like, yeah, I'm there. And they're like, oh my God, this is so cool. So no, honestly, that you cannot underestimate how clever they were, at least with with making sure, yes, we are going to have a lot of online content that's going to go viral from this. So we, Because at the end of the day, one of the things that Gotsik was saying, yes, of course, we want to get the millennials to watch tennis. That is something they want. It's like we love our regular fans and we want the traditional fan, but we also want the millennials. and um, Or even younger, I'd say. But like, yeah, at the end of the day, that was awesome, I thought. And I think that's something we need more in tennis in general, and especially... If uh, in Davis Cup you start seeing a lot more behind the scenes stuff, that's going to make a difference as well. A little yeah, bit I of agree. a difference. I agree, and that stuff's not easy. I mean, it takes it takes effort and people and social media people and camera people to go out there and you know drum up that content and get cameras in there. That's not. It's, it takes effort, but I think it's something worth investing in. For sure, and it also takes everyone has to be on board with it because, yeah. for example, because um, in general we're not supposed to be filming anywhere, you know, because right. of the not to violate rights and stuff, and we weren't. And remember, but, that, remember that remember that Roger video that got out of him watching that Sharapova Lauren yes, Davis match. Yes, that's the first thing with that. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the things. The first thing that came to mind. Uh, I thought that was great. And um, the on yesterday, yeah, yesterday after Team World lost, they they we were waiting for them in the press conference room and they weren't showing up. But then I heard them singing outside. And I was like, you know what? I'm just getting out there to see what the hell's going on. And I went, and they were all like ha- drinking beer in the in the hallway and just ha- they had a uh, speakers with them and were listening to music and dancing. And that's where they, that's why they were late. <laughs> so yeah. I literally just wait and. And I knew that they were going to be okay with it. I was like, I started filming because this is funny. Like, it's just funny, you know? And that kind of stuff in general does not work in tennis. You're not allowed to film anything. You're not allowed to do anything. And and all this stuff has... Yeah. yeah, And that has to change because this is the stuff that gets the non-regular fans interested. Even if it's for 
a small, stupid video that we don't know why people like it, but people do. And I hope that I hope that Tenants Australia, particularly, they're one of the strictest about this uh, in terms of behind the scenes stuff. I almost got yelled at for taking a photo of a sign, and they, they threatened to decredential me for that, which is ridiculous. Um, mm. But but hopefully they saw how, how cool that can be and can get a little looser. And Wimbledon and French Open too. U.S. Open is very good about that. They they're like we oh, don't okay. care, like yeah. But um, but we well, also to be honest, don't, this year the yeah. French has been lax. The French this yeah. year has been a bit more lax than usual. I have to right. say, in comparison yeah. to no compared to, to like Wimbledon, where they won't they would they got mad at you right for like tweeting photos of practice courts and ridiculous things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's dumb. But I mean, there are there are there is some pushback from the, the tour. We, we were having a conversation one of our group threads, Reem, as you well aware, with um, you know, some, a friend of ours who who um, you a can mutual guess who it is. friend who almost bit my head off, and I retreated slowly. You yeah. know, the, the Homer Simpson gift it, where he's retreating into the bushes. That's what I did. Yeah, but 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 she was saying, and I, I won't name her, but her name you know rhymes with Schmortney. <laughs> and and it, and it said that she was saying that it it's you know disrespectful to the rest of the tour that you know Tiafo pulls out of Chengdu and these you're taking these players off the table for these tournaments and it hurts the tour events and I think that's obviously I mean obviously yes fewer people were paying attention to Mets and to St Petersburg this week than they maybe would have otherwise but those are already tiny events and I think you're just getting people watching tennis in a week where they wouldn't be watching tennis otherwise and. If it has major ripple effects for the fall scheduling, it, it definitely hurt Davis Cup. I mean, like, Burdich and Zverev both didn't play Davis Cup last week. Um, and Port- uh, Germany somehow survived against Portugal because Joao Sosa lost all three of his matches, which is shocking. Um, mm. But, you know, Czech Republic gets relegated. And they're now out of world group because, in large part because Burdich didn't play last week. So I mean, I mean if anyone really has but... watched Labor Cup, they maybe would have lost anyway. But huh, that's cool. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I really like Thomas, actually. I don't know why I'm being mean. But... Anyway. Be mean. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but I guess but I guess that I think overall it's just sort of good for the sport. And it came, they put it, it's way less obtrusive than Davis Cup, which is like paying quarterly taxes four times a year that keeps showing back up on the schedule and interrupting things. I think having this one and it's better, and it wouldn't have been a successful event if it had been in December, like IPTL, or it wouldn't have been as good. I don't think. Um, I definitely asked because that was one of my first questions mm. uh, to Gotsik. Because yes, I do. Uh, I listen. Uh, Schmortney has a very legitimate uh, argument. At the end of the day, uh, the 250s probably can can survive on just one top player, you know. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken. St. Petersburg as Vedev was, was the defending champion. Not that he was going to yes, go. That's, right. that's the yeah. thing. At the end of the day, he wasn't going to go. Most of these top, the top 10 players, I don't think anybody was going to be playing this week. Uh, I think Tiafo is an exception simply because he was an, uh, like an alternate. They brought him in after Delpo pulled out. Right. He, yeah, he was a last minute add to Labor Cup. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think he was even in qualifying in Chengdu. I don't even think he was main draw, but I'm not, we need to double check that. I'm not 100% hmm. sure. Uh, because I know that the cutoff for the ranking was before Australian Open or something. I don't and, know. His ranking and, wasn't and, high enough. And, I think. and, and with all with, and with all due respect to Francis Tiafo, he's not putting lots of butts in seats in Chengdu. I can't imagine. Exactly, exactly. So at the end of the day, if you look at the fourteen players, I'm talking the twelve plus the alternates. Uh, so the alternates were Kokanakis and Verdasco. Again, I don't think either one is someone who would sell tickets outside their own countries necessarily. And I Fernesco's think that not a, Fernesco's not bad for a 250 tournament to have. I mean, he's not, not a bad guy to have around, but yeah. 
I don't I know. I mean, Verdasco comes to Dubai, nobody knows, pays attention. You never know. I mean, anyway. Uh, so, at the end of the day, from these players, who was going to play this week? I don't think any of them would have, honestly. I think all of these players are high-ranked enough that they are already just thinking about the next Masters 1000. Uh, the the only two who had to like jump on a plane right away were uh, Team and Zverev, and they're both already, one is in Shenzhen, the other is in Chengdu. And as far as I can tell, Zverev, someone gave him a private jet to fly on, so he's fine. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I do understand that. But at the same time, I, as far as I know, uh, they wanted the ATP involved. The ATP did not want to get involved. And I think that not the world does not have to stop if the ATP says we're not interested. I don't think that that's the right way because things have gotten stale. You know yeah. what I mean? I think it's really good and important to have some sort of fresh life injected in from a relatively new source in Team Eight, and with and with the with the blessing of Tennis Australia, and I think USTA was also and involved USTA. in this. Yeah. And um, but and so they're sort of support staff, but it really is a new idea from Team Eight. And even if they're not a federation, you know, ideas have to come from somewhere. And this gets a little bit into the idea of if it's an exhibition or not. And first of all, I kind of think who cares? And I also think exhibitions like a pretty gray area. Like, for example, Hopman Cup. Hopman Cup, I think everybody sort of thinks it's an exhibition. But at some point within the last 10, 15 years, it got recognized, quote-unquote, as the official mixed team event of the ITF. Mm. And it has, like, ITF, you know, federations involved, and it has points. But then I think it really shifted into being more of a pure exo. Obviously, there's, like, kind of hit-and-giggle atmosphere sometimes, especially mm. in the mixed. But I think it really shifted into being a less sort of sanctionable event when they started putting uh, two Australia teams in it couple years ago mm. um, and that's sort of when it's like that's just not how a normal competition uh team competition works and it's an invitational you know you can't qualify it on merit it's just purely who they think will draw a crowd and yeah but like i was looking back at my um i got this coffee table book called the 100 years of uh, or, uh, international tennis federation a century of contribution to tennis and i was just curious to look through it to see how davis cup started mm. um because i thought that'd be sort of useful for when it used to be an exhibition and it says, um, let me just read from this for a second. It says, the first Davis Cup tie took place at the Longwood Cricket Club in Boston on August 8th, 1900, with Davis himself hitting the second ball. He played in the first match. But as he received serve in the opening game, the first shot was hit by his British opponent, Ernest Black. That's just very bizarre writing. Um, hmm. but, um, but then soon word was spreading about a great team competition, and other nations wanted to participate. So, I mean, like it was a guy named Davis who named a cup after himself and was like, hey, let's play some British people. And that's it. And then, like, for a while, like, the there was an Australian and New Zealand combined team called, called Australasia that was dominant. Mm. And they weren't, that's not even a real country. Just, like, world. <laughs> so, I mean, all of it, yeah. I think, is sort of, you can see it can come out of anything and can gain significance and resonance just by how much people buy in. And for, for me, I think people were buying into Labor Cup, and right now they're not buying into Davis Cup, the top players. And so, mm. for me, that's just advantage, Labor Cup, at this point. True. I also think, listen, this maybe in five years time, this is going to fizzle out or maybe not. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the day, if people are not trying, which is why I was never, there was also so many people hating an IPTL. I didn't mind it at all. It's something different. It's something new. And look, they struggled. They struggled with money. And I don't even know if it's happening this year or not. But yeah. at the end of the day, that probably, there's probably some ideas from IPTL that Labor Cup took and twisted around and made it their own and did whatever. And that's how things happen. And eventually 
probably we will find like the ideal solution to a, a good team event. Uh, I don't know that the ACP are having this World Team Cup now that they want yeah. in the first week of the year and whatever. I don't know what's happening with that. Yeah, but like, they used to oh, in Dusseldorf, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think they're just going to revamp it somehow. But again, one thing keeps leading to another. And maybe, may, I'm, I'm not saying that I know that all of a sudden this is going to be like the Ryder Cup and it's going to survive for 100 years. Who knows? I honestly don't know. All I know is that I had so much fun. And you know how it is when we travel to so many tournaments and we're tired and we're working and this and that. And, and it's not always, fun is not always the word you would use when you're at a tournament. You would yeah. want it to be, but it's not necessarily always the case. It's work, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you, you leave a slam and you're like, I mean, this year for me, for example, I don't know. I left Wimbledon and I was like, eh, you know, not much. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't super excited about it. At least on the men's side, I wasn't excited about it. No. Um so it happens. Where with this one, honestly, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I was, had so much fun. I loved seeing all these tennis fans have so much fun. I like seeing good tennis. I, I don't know. I thought it was cool, and I'm very curious to see how it's gonna be received in the in the states next year. Uh, yeah. So because yeah, they're going to Chicago next year. I think it it could be cool. And did another good job, like I was saying with Prague, at picking a city in Chicago, which is a major city. Third biggest city in the U.S. that doesn't have hasn't had a tournament in years, yeah. and and they're already promoting it. Well, they already had the mayor involved. They had uh, not he's not yeah. a big celebrity, but Sloan's coach Kamal Murray, who's involved with a lot of Chicago youth programs and tennis, was there at the, on the podium too when they announced it this past week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think they're so far. It's very early going, but they're but they're doing well. I think the sort of bigger issue question, and this might just resolve itself with generations in time, mm-hmm. is the overall competitiveness of it. I mean. How long will it take before Europe isn't... I think everyone was surprised at how close this actually wound up being in terms of being yeah. only, only you know, with it coming down to Kyrgios having a point to force it to a deciding tiebreak. I never would have thought that would happen with given the but it's two because respective of the lineups system, of these teams. It's because yeah, and, of the... And, yeah. and Isner beating Nadal, which no one would have picked probably sure. beforehand because he'd yeah, never beaten yeah. Nadal before. Um, yeah. So that's that swung it. And it's just... But, but he played amazing as well. Yeah. I no, mean, he did. Yeah. But if, if, if it's not... If it's, if if Europe wins the first you know thirteen editions of Labor Cup, it might take some some wind out of its sails potentially. But come to th- okay, think about it. Let's say all the top guys are gone, uh, are retired. So including four, Novak and yeah, yeah and, and Vavrinka. So let's say all these five are gone. Then you have teams Vedev, who would be the top guys from Europe. Okay, and then you would have for the rest of the world. You have a lot of Americans coming up who are really good, and you have the Aussies as well. Yeah. So that's not a bad team. I think that that actually, it's more even than this generation. And the Canadians, the Canadians are really good. Yeah, and the Canadians and too. If Felix and Dennis and stuff, and no, so uh, and then I I would assume that maybe I don't know. I think Nishikori and Ranush probably will retire soon. I don't know. I honestly don't <laughs> know if they will last long. <laughs> they're young, but I don't know. But at the end of the day, if they're sticking around as well. Uh, so I think it's gonna get more even, if anything. I think probably will. I think we've I think we've gone through an incredible, a, a, a remarkably European generation in tennis mm. that I think is is not. I don't think necessarily the state of the future forever, but it's been ridiculous how long it's been since a non-European won any Masters Slam or um, uh, World Tour Finals or Olympics or whatever you want to. Th- I mean, like major tournament. I think it's been since. Probably since whatever Andy Roddick's last Masters event was, or maybe maybe when Delpo won the, no, I think Andy Roddick won the 2011 Miami, what something like that. 
and that was probably it. So it's been a long time. And um, yeah, and, and that will shift probably eventually. And it could be good. So I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what it does. And, and even if it fizzles out in, you know, in six years, eh, you know, it was fun while it lasted. I'm not, I'm not putting them, too much pressure on them to last a century right now. Of course, yeah. I think it's ridiculous to look that far ahead because, you know, man, who knows if anyone will like tennis in 50 years. I don't know. But at the end of the day, uh, I think that one of the key things that, that any kind of idea needs is to have sponsors that will stick by you. And I think that they have, basically, they have big name sponsors. They've got Rolex, they've got JP Morgan, they've got big names. And I think those deals are not one-year deals. I don't see that happening. So I feel that at least for the first push, you're talking the first five years, I feel that these guys are committed. Uh, and I'm guessing Federer is committed, committed post-retirement, I bet. I'm sure if this thing lasts, if Federer will be Europe captain. Exactly. Time. I definitely yeah. can imagine that this is what he has in mind. Uh, so that's, uh, that's another thing. I don't know. I... The weird thing is, like, every single player, every single one of them, they're all like, it's weird because we, yes, you have all these emotions with Davis Cup and stuff, but they're like, we didn't expect to have these kind of emotions with this, and we actually do have them. And they were not faking it. In the beginning, you'd think, like, ah, they're just saying that. But then if they're continuously saying this for three days, and they're super amped up, and and you can, I really felt it, to be honest. I felt it, I even felt it with Borg, who never reacts to anything. (laughs) (laughs) He was reacting. Uh, McEnroe was getting emotional. Curious was crying. Uh, I mean, no, they were really, really into it. And I think that the first thing Query and Isner and these guys told me, they were like, we're already thinking, we were just talking in the locker room, we want to make sure we qualify by ranking to this next year. Mm. And obviously they're saying that now it just happened, so they're really into it. Who knows if they'll remember it in six months? Probably they will. I don't know. But um, I think that's cool. And like you said, yeah. your, herma- your hermano already commented. And yeah, no, people are <laughs> buying in, so that'll that'll be good. Oh, hermano. Any any other thoughts on this before I let you go, Reem? Thank you for, uh, again, for staying up late in, in Dubai and talking to us. Oh, no worries. Um, no, I don't know. Nothing else is coming to mind, I think. I think it would be nice, very nice, if U.S. and obviously I don't think Godsick has any female clients at this point. Um, but it would be nice if um, you know Tennis Australia and USTA look at this and find a way to get a women's event like it. I think there's no reason the women couldn't have a similarly compelling, if not the crowds necessarily, maybe I don't know. But mm. it would be, it would be, I think it'd be a more geographically even matchup right now to do Europe versus World with how good uh, American women are doing at this moment. I think it could be pretty interesting. To try that if see if anyone does it. There actually was a Europe versus World uh, exhibition, I guess I'm going to use that word, or some sort of cup called something. They had, I think, 15 years ago in Dublin, they did one that was oh, Europe okay. versus World. And Lee Walsh, a uh, friend of ours, is Irish, just told me about how it got really good attendance. I think it got both Williams's, you know, Capriati, Davenport, all these sort of people for maybe it was America versus World, or maybe I forget if it, what exactly the breakdown was, mm. but it was uh, it was pretty cool apparently. So, so yeah. So yeah, I, hope the, I hope people. I hope people. I hope people just see. I hope people keep experimenting. Is really what I. I think maybe my takeaway is because try stuff. It might work. It might not. And but it's there's no shame in, in trying. And you might. And also some, I some think gold. definitely. And I also think this whole we we should stop getting obsessed with the tours and thinking that that's the only thing that works. 
because you know what the tours are also really really difficult to deal with and it's very difficult to change anything with them and at the same time a lot of the smaller tournaments are 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 not surviving i'm hearing hamburg is out oh i haven't heard that I no, I, I, I heard that. I heard that this weekend. I don't know if it's true or not. I want to look into it, but I'm hearing that Hamburg isn't able to survive either. There's like tournaments that have been around for a long time and they can't keep up. And and the small at the end of the day, uh, one of the big problems was for so long for the past I don't know ten years or more because of the big guys. You go to a 250, and if the 250, uh, and then they go to sponsors and tell them, oh, we don't have any of the big four, and they'd be like, okay, we don't want to sponsor you. That's literally what's been happening. So. So at the end of the day, the the tour the tour has its issues, and if someone comes up with a different idea to to make tennis a bit more popular, I'm not saying, okay, it's is overboard when oh my god, this is tennis unrivaled, this is tennis like you've never seen before, this will save tennis. I don't think one thing will save tennis, like one singular thing will ever save tennis. But right. at the same time, I think that this whole obsession, if something is not under the ATP or WTA, then automatically, oh, it's an EXO or a glorified EXO, oh, we, we don't care. That I think that track of thought doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's largely right, and I think I think meaning is like in the eye of the beholder. You know, if you get if you get these twelve guys to show up and be really into whatever the hell Laver Cup is, which is a completely made up thing, then it suddenly has meaning. You know, yeah. I think I think I think meaning can be as as fleeting as that. And same with Davis Cup and Fed Cup. If you have a year when top players don't show up, I think it loses a lot of meaning. Or yeah. you know, a tournament like I mean, I don't know, not to pick on him, but like when Dimitrov won Cincinnati, only three of the the top ten guys showed up. And so, does yeah. that have less meaning than your average Masters tournament? Probably, yeah. You know, it, it's just I think it's all a bit ethereal, and that can be uncomfortable for organizers of the sport, but. It just it just shows you gotta kind of keep trying. Don't get complacent. I hope that maybe that's maybe that's a better sort of morale. It's like don't and I'm, and and I don't want Davis Cup to stop and Davis Cup brings tennis to underrepresented countries and da da da. But they absolutely cannot be complacent about this. And I think it's interesting that they just had this resolution that failed <laughs> to bring up my mm, old exactly. chorus about about the best of three matches. Yeah, which narrowly got voted down. I think it got sixty four percent of the vote and needed sixty six mm. to pass and. Meanwhile, Labor Cup comes in with way shorter matches than that. I've never suggested doing best of three sets with only a 10-point tiebreak. I've never gone sort of that far for what I want for singles matches. Um, but they did it, and it, and it wound up working. So I think it's sort of showing that don't be afraid of change. You know, let's see. How, and this will happen with the next-gen finals coming up soon, too, which they're trying so many ridiculous number of innovations. Yeah, on. I, I mean, a almost, lot of it sounds very gimmicky. Of, yeah, 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 right. It does. But, but again, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be there and I'm curious to see. Like, I've been in, I, I honestly hate just, because even when you see something on TV, it's different. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to be received, even from beyond the rules and stuff. Just if the next-gen guys can 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 fill out a, a stadium. You know what I mean? I want to see if people will show up to watch. That's a real question. Uh, yeah. We don't know. We don't know. We have no idea. So uh, I don't know if Milan has people who would want to go watch Rublev play Khashanov. I don't know. Yeah. And Medvedev so, versus Chung. Is that going to sell an arena in Milan? I don't, I don't think I, it would. I have no idea. Surface, Donaldson and Chorich. Again, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I would be curious to see how that works out as well. And, uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's uh, any new event 
uh, it's basically increasing competition. It's increasing competition because people will look at it and be like, okay, we need to up our game. We need to do this. Oh, I even just a regular tournament. If any tournament looks and says, oh, okay, I want to do better with my social media or, oh, I want to do some behind the scenes stuff or I don't know, whatever. If people start thinking that way, I think they're just going to keep pushing each other to do better, which hasn't been the case for quite a long time. Agreed. Well, thank you for pushing us to do better, Reem, by being a wonderful <laughs> guest on NCR. Uh, Love the segue. You, you guys should follow Reem if you do not already. Uh, Reem Abulea will have a link to her Twitter in the episode description. And yeah, thanks very much. Uh, do you have any, was there any sort of Labor Cup theme music that we should play you out with? Uh, they had the guy, the guy from Eurovision. Oh right, yeah, they had Mount Semelo there. Of course, another there sign of successful be- tournament. Yeah, <laughs> so he's you like definitely re- have to have him in the outro. <laughs> we'll do that. Yeah, he was like he's like um, really good friends with uh, Bjorkman, who's now working with uh, Chilich, and so he's now like randomly like yeah, a Marin Chilich super were fan. Hugging. Yeah. Okay, because because he was singing when they were getting the trophy, and then they hugged each other, and I was like, Chilich, why? So I think he was. I think he might have even been like in his box during the Wimbledon final. Uh, I want to say, or at least like okay. in the stadium, what supporting Chilich. I don't watch Eurovision, uh, so I would not recognize that person. But yeah, I reckon. I reckon. I think I told this story in the, on the NCR before, but I recognized him at Wimbledon a few years ago, um, and he was because I watched Melody Festival, which is the Swedish pre-selection show for Eurovision, and he'd been on it. He'd been on it a couple times and done had really great songs, but hadn't won ever. Mm-hmm. It was a really tough competition. Um, and he, um, had also hosted one year and he was great at that too. And I saw him at Wimbledon on the player's garden, like after the final one year and he was just sitting there by himself. And I was like, <gasps> that's Miles Zemelo, who I did not expect to see at all because why would you expect to see this random Melody Festival and contestant? It was the, like the most fanboyish moment of my, you know, behind the scenes <laughs> career. And I was like, hi, like, I, it's like very cool. To see. I'm like a big fan of yours. Like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And he was like, oh, when am I coming out with one of my albums or something? I was like, no, I don't care about your albums. When are you coming back to Melody Festival? And, and he like, and he sort of didn't say, oh, oh, I had no plans to. Like, I don't know. I was like, and I looked clearly disappointed. And was like, okay. And then, um, and then lo and behold, like four months later, he comes back to Melody Festival and as he's announced he's coming back. And then he comes back with this song and wins Eurovision and his career, you know, skyrockets again and it's all due to me i think Uh, because i was the one who you know showed told him in no uncertain terms that eurovision is his only claim to relevance and he's bought into (laughs) that so you're welcome bonds and here is and here is his song thank you reem you are uh the hero we need (laughs) thanks bye bye Dancing